0: Hey, everybody. You are listening to episode four of the Aspiring to the Median podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Let's get started. I'm your host Keelan Hobelman and I'm here with my co-host and brother Cody and we have a great episode for you today. You know we get a lot of questions about a lot of the stuff we talk about here on the podcast and on the Aspiring to the Medium website through a whole bunch of different mediums from Instagram, from people emailing questions directly in, from just conversations with the people we know about some of the stuff that we talk about and One of the things that we want to do is to start to work through some of these questions and to actually hash through some of the answers in a little bit of detail. And that's what we're going to do today. And we have a great question to start off the bat and one that comes up all the time. And that question is, how do I actually go about choosing a finish line for my spending? And we will get to that question in just a moment. Before we get started, guys, I just wanted to remind you about the Aspiring to the Median Impact Program. If you've been getting a lot out of this podcast and are looking for a way to take it to the next level, then the Impact program is for you. Impact is an eight-week program for small groups of four to eight people or so that walks through a biblical foundation for managing the money that God blesses us with and allows you to explore some big life questions with the rest of your group. You'll also narrow down on how you would answer the question, how much money is enough for me and my family, and work towards setting a financial finish line for your spending. Impact is completely free and available on our website at com slash impact. It's also completely self-led, so you don't need a trained leader or someone who's been through the program before. All you need is a couple friends to get started. So check it out and get a group together today. And
1: with that, let's get
0: started. All right, Cody, good to be back with you.
1: Yeah, you too. I'm really excited to start addressing some of these questions that we've been getting And be able to clarify some of these concepts for our listeners. And I think a really logical place to start, like you said earlier, is answering the question, how do I choose a finish line for my spending? And I think the best way to answer this question is to first remind everybody what is a finish line, then talk about why would you want to have a finish line, and then finally, how do we go about choosing a finish line? So, Keelan, can you start with what is the finish line? Yeah, sure. So, I know we've talked about
0: it a number of times on the show already, but for those who are just jumping in or who are still kind of fuzzy on the whole concept of a finish line in the first place, you know, most of the time, as somebody's income goes up, their spending goes up to some degree as well. But when we really think about the idea that everything we have belongs to God, ultimately— then we start to realize that there's only so much that we really need for ourselves and our families. And so a finish line is is a cutoff for what we need to support ourselves and our families each month. And if God blesses us with any income beyond our finish line, we set it aside to
1: give away as God leads us. Right. So let's talk a little bit about why someone would want to implement a financial finish line.
0: Yeah, there's a a whole lot that goes into that question, and I wanted to pick out a, a couple particular points. The first is the idea, which again, we've talked about before, that everything we have belongs to God. And if you think through the whole Bible narrative, uh, even all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, God creating everything from nothing, it seems obvious that everything belongs to God, but that's often not how we intrinsically think about our finances. We tend to think of our finances as my money belongs to me because I worked hard for it, or I put in all this work to get to where I am, or, you know, I worked through college or graduate school or whatever it is, or I worked up through my career. And so there's a intense personal ownership that I think we intrinsically feel when it comes to our money. And I think that's probably an even stronger feeling for us as Americans, because our country is founded on that idea of individualism and pulling yourself up. So that personal attachment to our wealth is very strong and something that is hard to work through. But when it comes down to it, I think the Bible is very clear that that everything, including all of our money and wealth, belongs to God. It's not ours and we're giving some back to God. And so when you start to see all of money and wealth as ultimately belonging to God, then our role starts to transition from owner to manager. And we've talked about that manager idea before. And so when we see ourselves as a manager of something that belongs to God, the question starts to change from how much do I owe back to God to something more like, how much of God's wealth should I be taking for myself?
1: Right, and I think this truth is pretty evident in Scripture, and you might even say obvious, but in my experience, I didn't realize it until it was pointed out to me, and the implications of that understanding are pretty massive. Yeah,
0: and I think that's the case
1: for probably most people in
0: our culture, because is not naturally how we hear about money and wealth in our churches and in the Christian American context. You know, we hear about it basically with a narrative of how much of what is mine should I give back to God or give to what God is doing? And so it's quite a worldview shift to start to see it the opposite way. So the second point, That I think is important to consider is that money and wealth are very powerful, and that works on both sides of the coin. So money has the potential to do incredible good, and we have seen that in all kinds of stories about God using money and wealth to significantly impact people and cultures and uh, to tackle problems. But on the flip side— money also has an incredibly destructive potential as well. And that theme is all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. We could talk through any number of verses that talk to that subject, but there's uh, two here that I wanted to point out in particular, which I think help illustrate that point. The first is from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12, which says, Sweet is the sleep of the laborer whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep.
1: Right, in the second one from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9-10, through 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith And pierced themselves with many pangs. And I think both of those speak to something that,
0: even outside of the Bible, just in popular culture or watching celebrities or very wealthy people, we all kind of intrinsically know on a larger scale. We know that when people are blessed with incredible wealth or or even more wealth than they know what to do with, that it is often very destructive. And and you can see that in the news every day with families being pulled apart and with people becoming out of touch with reality and, and seeing those around them differently who have less than they do. And I think that's just strengthened by the fact that the Bible
1: speaks very candidly about that process. And I've seen firsthand as a financial planner some of the complex issues and problems that arise as you see net worth and income rise in a household. Right. And I think that the
0: benefit of a financial finish line in this context is it gives us a boundary to protect ourselves from those kind of problems and complexity and ultimately from that destructive power of money in our life after a certain level. And then the final point I wanted to point out is that in many places in the Bible, there is a talk of, of some sort of spiritual exchange of worldly wealth for eternal treasure. And I find that a very fascinating subject. And I, here I just wanted to point out a couple verses that talk in that context. The first is from 1 Timothy 6, verses 18 through 19. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they
1: may take hold of what is truly life. In the seconds from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19-21, through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and one of the things i find fascinating about these
0: passages and there's several others like them that talk about this same concept is you know we we have a faith that is not works based everything that we have and the freedom that we have in christ is from grace and so I find this whole idea of eternal treasure or treasure in heaven to be fascinating in that context of grace. But one thing that is clear is that our wealth on earth certainly will not follow us to heaven. There's that common phrase that you never see a U-Haul following our hearse. You know, we just don't get to take any of our physical possessions, our wealth, our IRAs, or anything like that into eternity with us. But there are some things that I think do transcend that transition. Uh, You know, some of those being relationships or our ability to point others to Christ and to God's kingdom. And even the physical, tangible needs we're able to address for people on this earth. You know, Jesus says, I think in several places, what you have done for the least of these, you have also done for me. And so, while it's hard to say exactly how the specifics of that work out, there is at least the clear point that the, the physical, tangible needs we meet on this earth and the way that we affect other people transcends this life into eternity.
1: Yeah, and obviously money is one of the many tools that we can use to impact people positively, or negatively, as you mentioned, but we want to focus in on how can you implement a structure that encourages you or holds you accountable to doing the good work that you want to do already as a Christian. So we talked about what is the financial finish line, why you would implement something like that in your life, and now comes how do we go about choosing a financial finish line? Yeah, and before I get to that question, you just
0: reminded me of one more point, which is If we don't have some kind of structure, it's really easy to just accidentally go through all of life, never really harnessing our finances and the money that God has blessed us in one of the richest countries in all of history to be able to have an impact on these kind of kingdom things and and on other people and on uh, the poor and suffering. You know, it's just so easy to get caught in the day-to-day of life and on always the next step and getting the kids through college and then saving for retirement and on and on that we really miss a whole side of things that God has intended for us to be a part of. And that's one of the beautiful things about the finish line is it gives us a point where we can say, I have enough to meet all my needs and Everything else I have I can begin to use for these kind of eternity-oriented purposes. And I think that we need those kind of boundaries in our lives. So getting to the, the question that you raised, how do we actually go about choosing a finish line? I think that there's a couple practical points that can help guide some of that process. The first, and we walk through... A lot of this process in the impact program, one of the things that we recommend is, in the beginning, not thinking about retirement savings or any debt that you have currently, just to actually focus on every month, how much do I need to live on? Because I think that simplifies some of that question a little bit. And those other categories of of retirement savings, long term savings, and debt are all important and are part of another conversation. But at least to start when you're looking at finish line, just really focus on how much do I need each month to live on.
1: I agree that that's a good starting point because thinking too hard about retirement or existing debt can often serve as a barrier to taking that first step and actually starting to structure your budget in a way that allows you to give. Right.
0: And once you're focused in on just what you need month to month, I think it's helpful to frame that in the context of the rest of the country, because I think that gives us a little bit of an objective look at how much does an American actually need to live on. And when we start with our income and say, I make this much, so how much of that should I need to spend on myself? Then I I think it confuses things a little bit. So I find it helpful to set your income aside, whatever it is, and to just start with, how much do I think a typical American should need to live in the context that I'm living? And that's where the calculator that we have on the Aspiring to the Median website, I, I think, is really helpful. You can find that calculator at aspiringtothemedian.com slash calculator. And on the website, you can enter in your income, your family size, and a couple other factors, and it'll tell you where in the context of the rest of the country your spending currently is. And so it'll break it down into a hundred families that are the same size as your family, and it'll say, you know, out of every hundred families that are the same size as yours, your current lifestyle requires spending more than 75 of those hundred families, or... 50 of those 100 families or whatever it is. That helps just kind of frame what your current lifestyle is relative to what the typical American actually needs to live on. And then also as part of the calculator, you can see what the typical budget would be for any of those 100 families. So if you wanted to pick something right in the middle, you might say, what is that 50th family out of every 100 families typically spending for a family of two, family of four, etc. Or maybe what is the 60th family or the 40th family. And so that helps to give you a starting point. That's not everything, but it at least gets you in the right ballpark, I think. And that brings up another good point, which is family size. So, you know, somebody that is living on their own is going to for sure have a different set of needs and spending than a family of six with four kids. And so family size certainly plays a part in choosing a finish line. That's another benefit of the calculator is that it automatically scales for family size. So when it's breaking down into those hundred families, it's hundred families that are similar size to yours. And I think that's really helpful because it just takes that factor out of the equation when otherwise it can be really difficult to know how much do things change, you know, if we were to have another child
1: next year or something like that. Right. The calculator was super helpful when Steph and I were starting to think about these things and try to determine what a finish line might look like for us in our lives. But we are also aware that it would be very difficult to come up with a one-size-fits-all approach when talking about finish lines. And every individual and every household has a unique set of circumstances. Uh, But there are a couple that we want to talk about that might come into play when making this decision. The first being geography. Obviously, different areas within the United States, different states and different cities and different towns all have a different cost of living associated with them. And that can play a factor, especially if you're comparing... San Francisco, or New York City compared to Tennessee or Montana, for example. Another circumstance might be your specific health needs. We know the cost of health care is extremely high and rising, and different people require different levels of care, medications, therapy, and that can be very expensive, and that definitely factors into your cost of living. Yeah, and there's a couple other things that
0: come to mind. You know, we talk about family size, but then there's also people who are supporting others outside of their family. Uh you know, like maybe supporting a, a parent or parents financially in some way. I know that Allie and I are foster parents and so we've had to see how that factors into everything. And there's a couple different ways to approach that particular topic on one hand, you can include those expenses into your personal expenses and adjust your finish line accordingly. And on the other hand, which which is the approach that we take, you can make the argument that all of that spending to take care of a parent or a, a foster child or someone outside of your family like that is already being used for a purpose outside of your family and so is already kind of in that category of expenses above your finish line. So that's how we approach foster care. You know, we get a small stipend from the city as foster parents, and then we're also responsible for all the costs of our child. So when we spend money on things like clothes or uh, typical needs like that, we just don't include them as part of our budget. And I think that that has helped us to... Simplify the process of a finish line. And I think you could easily apply that to supporting a parent or any other family member or anyone else uh, financially that's kind of outside of your immediate family, like that. And the last thing that I just want to point out is that the idea of a finish line is not something that we invented or something that's new at all. And people have been living. This kind of a lifestyle for a long time. One thing that is a little bit different about how we approach the finish line process is that traditionally people tend to pick a dollar amount as their finish line. And that can be a little tricky at times because things are constantly changing, you know, even just with inflation and typical cost of living expenses are constantly going up at a slow, at a slow incremental rate over time and so we actually recommend using a percentile of the population as your benchmark as your finish line you know and so if you're playing around with the calculator and you are looking at the numbers and you say you know based on a lot of these factors we've talked about i think something around that 55th percentile or, you know, that 55 out of every 100 families makes sense for us, or the 65th family, 65th percentile, or 40th, whatever it is for you. I think using that percentile as a benchmark is helpful. Uh, And we update our calculator every year with the new income data. And so if you, if you say, you know, like the 55th percentile is, is our finish line, then next year, you can come check the calculator and see that that dollar amount that's associated with that has gone up a little bit with the rest of the economy. And so that's just one way that I think things are a little simpler if you use a different measure than an actual dollar amount. And like I said before, it also scales for family size. So you know, if you've committed to the 55th percentile and you have a child next year, that dollar amount is going to go up as your family size increases. And, and you can see that on the calculator pretty easily. So uh, just one last thing to consider as you're choosing a finish line. That being said, that's just the system that we propose and, and we like using ourselves. But if that seems confusing for you in any way and you would rather just pick a dollar amount, then feel free to do that. You know, It's better to, to do something and to draw a line somewhere than to do nothing at all.
1: So we don't have time to get into all of the details and specific situations that you might come across, but now that we've actually talked a little bit about how you might go about choosing a finish line, I did want to share some other thoughts. The first I already mentioned, but I want to reiterate that it's it's often better just to start somewhere than never start at all, and getting too caught up in some of these details and overthinking things can cause you hesitation and might prevent you from ever pursuing something like this. And the approach that I ended up taking with Steph was to just get started and so we had conversations and thought and prayed pretty hard about it and eventually they just picked a number and the way that we wanted to express that we were making a decision or a commitment to something even if it wasn't set in stone, was just to go on the website and click on the commit button. For some reason, something about clicking on that button made it a point in time that I could look back on and say, this is when we made a decision, and we can move forward from here.
0: And I think that brings up another good point, which is that you know, as we talk about the idea of a finish line, a lot of people might be thinking that when you choose a finish line, you have to be choosing something that's less than you make now so that you're actually changing your budget in some way or, or cutting back in some way. And while that might be true for a number of people that implement a finish line, that's not by default what a finish line means. You know, I think there's just as many people that will have a finish line that's above what they earn and make currently as there are as those who would choose a finish line that's less than they currently earn or make. And it really depends on where you are in life and and what your income is. So like I said before, I think it's helpful to actually set your income aside when you're determining a finish line and to really just focus on the question, how much do I need to support my family regardless of what your income is. After that point, once you have an, an actual number and a line in place then you can look at your income and say, all right, well, we're quite a ways away from that finish line right now. And, you know, it's going to take a number of years of raises or job changes or whatever before we ever even get to that finish line. And I think it's still just as helpful to have a finish line in that case because it helps you to orient all of your future financial decisions around that point. But on the other hand... There's those who are maybe later in their career or just have a higher income. And when they choose a finish line and answer that question, how much do I need to support my family? They can see that they're already above that number. And and for those people, they actually will be cutting back. And so, um, again, it's just helpful to separate your income from your needs when you're trying to make this initial decision.
1: Another point I wanted to make is that This is not designed to cause shame or guilt or any sense of obligation. This is simply a structure, like I said before, that you can implement into your life with the desired result of freedom and purpose. And we see this type of thing in other parts of the Christian walk. One obvious one is marriage. You've made a commitment to another person and you're not going to go have romantic relationships with other people. That's something that we see from Scripture. That's something that is socially acceptable. It's something we all understand as Christians. And what we found as we looked through Scripture for what does Jesus say about money, what does the Bible tell us about money, is this is one way where you can implement some kind of accountability system, some kind of purposeful system that will allow you to, to start handling money in a godly way.
0: Yeah, that's a great comparison, I think, to marriage and the boundaries of marriage. And you know, that is something that I think as American Christians, we understand very clearly the boundaries of marriage just make sense to us. And experiencing marriage without those boundaries is easy to see as, as destructive and hurtful to not only others, but to ourselves. And the interesting thing is God talks about money and the dangers of of money and wealth far more than he actually talks about marriage or sexual purity or, or anything in that realm. And I think it can be equally as destructive if not handled with intentionality and with boundaries. But what those boundaries are for us as American Christians is harder to define and not it's just fuzzier in our heads. I'm reading a book now called God and Money, which is an amazing book and I highly recommend it for anybody listening. But they talk about some of this cultural context in one of their chapters and I just wanted to read a a quick section from it because I think it's helpful. They say, Different cultures have different areas of sin that are normalized and accepted, whereas other areas of sin get aggressively called out. All sin is worthy of attention, but the culture one resides within will dictate just how serious certain transgressions appear in the public eye. In America, certain sexual sins are a really big deal, as they should be, but financial greed is not condemned very loudly. In fact, it is at times a virtue. No one will be ostracized in America because of their financial stinginess. In Liberia, things are just the opposite. While there is a certain sexual permissiveness in Liberian culture, a lack of generosity is met with complete social disdain. It is seen as unacceptable to become wealthy without sharing one's abundance with others. We need to try and be aware of our cultural blinders. In a consumerist society that celebrates wealth and individualism, we must be careful to avoid succumbing to the numbness towards the sin of financial miserliness. And when I read that for the first time, it just really stuck out to me that this is really something that we are uniquely challenged with as Americans, the way our culture has developed and and was founded. And so I think that's all the more reason to find these kind of helpful boundaries that we can place on ourselves in a financial context.
1: Yeah, I found that quote really impactful as well. It exposed a lot of beliefs that I grew up with and felt totally acceptable and normal. And only in in the context of reading scripture did I understand that my understanding of the world might not be perfect. The last thing I wanted to mention is that this decision probably isn't going to be made overnight. It wasn't for Keelan and Allie, it wasn't for me and Steph, and it probably won't be for anyone else. And that's why we created the Impact Program, just to walk through a process of how to start to think about these things and get some of these questions answered to help get you thinking about what does the Bible say about money, what does that mean for you, and what can and should you do about it.
0: Yeah, I agree that anybody who's interested at all in a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about today should definitely check out the Impact Program. It's completely free. You can download the whole thing today at aspiringtothemedian.com slash impact. And it exists just to help people walk through this process. That's our only desire for the program. So check it out if you get a chance. Well, hey, before we finish up, I just wanted to share our manager minute for the day. As you might recall, every week we try to share one solid tip or idea for something you can give to right now. We spend all this time talking about finding a financial finish line and setting aside all the excess to use on others or towards God's kingdom. And this is just one practical way to do that. Today's Manager Minute is about a missions organization called Gospel for Asia. Gospel for Asia started in 1979 as a native missionary movement committed to reaching the hardest-to-reach areas of Asia with the gospel through native missionaries who already live there. Since their inception, they've also grown to include supporting children, community development, and a whole host of related ministries. But their commitment to the unreached people groups of Asia has been their central pillar the whole time. So if you get a chance, check them out at gfa.org. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about aspiring to the median, setting a financial finish line, or anything else you heard on the show today, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at aspiringtothemedian, through our website at aspiringtothemedian.com, or by email at hello at aspiringtothemedian.com. Send us any questions you have, and we would be glad to answer them on one of our future episodes. Well, that's all we have for today. We'll see you next time.